This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Thank you for everyone that has tuned into 52 Weeks of Hustle so far. We're getting closer to the one-year anniversary. I've had a lot of fun sitting down with industry leaders and certainly hope it has been beneficial. In addition, thank you for all the support you've provided on the book that was recently published, Hustle Your Way to Success in Sports Sales. It's a playbook to being elite in the sports business industry. Whether you're looking to get in this business or you already are, you're looking to continue to grow your career, I believe this book can be beneficial for you. Paperback, ebook, and audiobook are now available. Check out 52weeksofhustle.com. Thank you in advance and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. Event Dynamic specializes in maximizing revenue and increasing attendance. I'm Travis Apple and I'll be your host of this podcast. I've been fortunate to spend my entire career in the sports sales industry and I wanted the opportunity to give back, to give back to those individuals that want to get in this business or for those individuals that are in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name Each week, I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down with industry professionals to talk about their career path, what it takes to be successful, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your everyday. Without further ado, our guest this week. Similar to the name of this podcast, this business is a lot about hustle and grind. Our next guest saw firsthand growing up how important hustle was and then made a name for himself in minor league baseball before ultimately working in the NFL, NBA, and MLS. Our next guest is Charlie Sloniker, Senior Vice President of Ticket Sales and Fan Experience at the Philadelphia Union of the MLS. Charlie, welcome to the show. Travis, thanks so much for having me. It's great to talk to a fellow Ohioan here. Absolutely. That's exactly how I was going to kick it off. You know, It's always a pleasure talking to you. You certainly had a great career. I'm looking forward to diving in and having our listeners certainly get a better understanding of how you've been successful in working up the ranks. And, you know, again, starting from the beginning, you grew up in Tippecanoe, Ohio, as we always talk about, I love talking about oh, two Ohio people. I think that's enough said about work ethic. And so, you know, tell me, did you always know that you wanted to work in sports? Well, I think early on I knew that I wanted to be an NFL quarterback or an NBA basketball player. Well, at, at all of about 5'7 and slightly below average athletic ability, it just wasn't in the cards. So at one point in time, I saw a, a college pamphlet with all the majors listed, and I happened to see sport management, and that was really the first time where I was like, what is that? That sounds amazing. And that, you know, here we are 20 years later. Absolutely. That's awesome. We'll certainly dive into that. And, you know, talking about work ethic and growing up, you know, in, in Ohio and that blue-collar mindset – you grew up, your mom had her own CPA firm. Your dad was managing a 100-person company. So you know, how involved and in, in influential were your parents in you know, part of that work ethic and instilling what it is that you still instill to your day every single day? Well, very much so. I was lucky to have two great parents. And for them, I think they were, they were young. You know, they were in their 
late 20s or so when they had me and you know they were sort of more entry level type of positions with their companies and just over the course of time you know 18 years at home I kept seeing them grow and grow you know I saw my own I saw my mom start her own company when she when I was relatively young and every couple of years my dad kept getting a promotion so I was like all right you know here's the blueprint you know these guys are working hard I can kind of see it firsthand and and that's something that really stuck with me. You know, you mentioned earlier, Charlie, like you obviously grew up playing sports, being a passion about sports, and then you find that pamphlet, you start understanding what sports management is, you kind of stay close to home there and head to the University of Dayton and study sports management. How did you ultimately end up there? I just didn't really know much else. You know, everybody in my family lived in Dayton, Ohio, and I just thought I would, you know, for my whole life as well. So it was sort of like the clear choice. They happen to have sport management. But, you know, like I said, I never necessarily thought that I would be moving all across the country or anything. I thought, you know, maybe I could get on with a local local minor league baseball team and, and have a good career there. Well, that kind of leads right into the next step. You know, as, as you're going through your career with University of Dayton, you get an internship with the local minor league team, the Dayton Dragons. You know, a previous 52 Weeks of Hustle podcast, Eric Deutsch, we talked a lot about, you know, the Dayton Dragons and them being able to build a brand for them in the minor league baseball. And as you were working there, you mentioned a story to me. You had a boss come up and ask you, hey, basically, can you sell? Like, walk us through that experience as you were an interning. Yeah, absolutely. You know, my first job there was just literally working in the entertainment department game days. So I was picking people out for 1970s dance skits on the dugout. I was being a bodyguard for our mascot. And with my, you know, not so intimidating feet, <laughs> you know, physique, that's not going to do very well. But, you know, I got to know people in the office. I got to know Eric, who was the EVP at the time. And there was a gentleman, John Davis, who's gone on to have a, a really good career with a number of teams. And he just came up to me. We we'd got to know each other. And he said, hey, man, you know, you look like you're working pretty hard here. We've got an internship coming up in ticketing. Would you have any interest? And I was like, absolutely. We'd love to do it. No idea what it meant, though. No idea what it meant. Like, <laughs> completely no clue what it was. Thought I would be, you know, sitting behind a window passing out tickets. And he was like, no, no, man, it's, it's more sophisticated than that. I think you'll really like it. And what always stuck with me is he said, you know, it's just like sports. It's really competitive. There's a leaderboard with standings similar to there would be in sports. It's very black and white. You know, your work ethic will dictate how much money you make and how quickly you can advance. And I was like, wow, that's that's really appealing. I'm very intrigued by that. No, that's awesome. And now you've previously mentioned, Charlie, and I think this is where it's going to be some advice for our listeners, you know, especially our listeners that are trying to, they're thinking about getting in this business is sales certainly isn't for everyone. And, you know, you mentioned you were growing up, you were more of an introvert than an extrovert. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners can, can see that in themselves or also tell themselves like, I can't sell like, or that seems really uncomfortable me to, to ask for money, to ask for different things. So what is advice that you have that how, of not only how you overcame that as an intern, but also as you future and you've got around a lot of people that have overcome those same things? Yeah, definitely. I think in order to be a, a good salesperson, you have to be an effective communicator. And oftentimes, like, on the surface, you would think about somebody who has a good personality, is very outgoing and things like that. But really, I think what I've found is it's more about somebody who's able to sort of jump to whoever that person is and kind of mirror them and be a good communicator with them in the way that they so desire. So, like, you know, dispersonality type of stuff is something that I put a lot of 
research into. And I think the ability to do that is, is really sort of the key to success. No, absolutely. And Charlie, like growing up, was there any, did you ever have a, a sales job or sales experience that thought, hey, I might be able to do that? Or was literally your first sales experience as an intern there with the Dragons? I, so I worked at a local nursery, you know, with okay. shrubs and trees and things of the sort. And I was on chart, I was basically on the floor selling, you know, all these shrubs and trees and flowers that I didn't know a whole lot about to people. And it was, it was fun. You know, I just learned, I've got to dive in. I have to learn what you know, this is best for the east side of your house, you know, this is best for the south side of your house. And so as long as I knew the products, I would feel confident enough to actually speak with the person and kind of assess what their needs are, you know, similar to what we do with ticketing, obviously. Right. But, you know, oh, you're looking for a this color plant on the south side of your house. Gotcha. You know, here you go. Here, so your open-ended question started early on in your life, and certainly that was probably your first experience of the cross-selling and up-selling. That's correct. You you got out and you're high-fiving people. Hey, I just got them to buy three bushes instead of two. So, (laughs) and and what are the chances you can allow me to come and plant that for you? (laughs) (laughs) See, every that's what we always talk about, right? The X's and O's we know in sales can literally apply to everything. Um, and, and certainly even gardening. So, you know, we, we've talked a lot about in this business, you know, to, hey, as you get your your first start, as you get an internship, if you crush it, hopefully you can earn a full-time opportunity from that. And you did just that with the Dragons uh, and ended up working full-time for the Dragons for three and a half years. So looking back at that time, what do you feel like you did as an intern to really solidify that opportunity for yourself? I think I just focused on the job itself. So I think a lot of people will look at, you know, what's my next job? How do I meet the person who's who's best for my next role? I try to really focus in on my specific job and doing it to the best of my ability to hopefully, you know, didn't give anybody a reason to think anything other than like, wow, this guy's really hustling. So I think that was one. And then two was volunteering for any sort of event I possibly could, because I think, you know, that was my ability to get to know all the other people. And unlike, you know, working in the NBA or MLB where front offices are huge and you're very siloed, in this case, there's 40 people. You got to know everybody. You know, I, you mentioned Eric Deutsch, who is the EVP. Like, I had a good relationship with him, which would never be the case at an NBA team. Right. And signing up for all these events, whether it be a, you know, corporate partner, day at the park or something like that, that allowed me to, you know, apply that same sort of work ethic and hustle to those events and, you know, hopefully create a champion out of whoever was the actual full-time employee leading that event. Yeah, you, we, we talk a lot about dominating your day, and that's exactly what you, what you did. And, you know, as you look through your, your time and, and, you know, even from Eric's podcast and a couple other people that have, have worked their way up through the ranks of minor league sports, it's, hey, one day you're selling tickets, the next day you're pulling tarp, the next day you might be the mascot or you might be the bodyguard of the mascot that you mentioned. So as you think about kind of efficiency and priorities, obviously your number one priority back at the Dragons for those three and a half years was to sell at a high level, but you're also pulled in ever different directions. Like, how did you go about prioritizing your day and continuing to be efficient and effective? Well, I knew that revenue was going to be the most important thing. So even when I was an intern, 
and I started to get the opportunity to sell while I was an intern, I knew that, you know, if I was able to actually pay for my future salary in ticket sales, I'd be far more likely to land a full-time job as opposed to, you know, just doing a good job and everything else. So I tried to really prioritize that. But, you know, at that time, it was it was a different environment, as I'm sure you well remember, where it wasn't like you weren't on a 40-hour a week pitch clock. You know, you could spend as much time as you wanted. And, and so that's what I did to, to make sure you could get everything done. No, absolutely. So now you're on the other side of that table. And, and you know, during this podcast, we're going to talk a lot about your illustrious leadership career. But now you've been fortunate to hire a lot of people, whether that be for their first job or, you know, kind of the next opportunity. So what advice do you have for the listeners that are either looking to get into this business or land that next opportunity within a sports team? I think step one would be to look at any sort of champions that you have that you've worked with in one way, shape, or form and can get your resume to the top of the pile and actually get the interview. But from there, it's kind of on you. So you never know if you're going to have a highly skilled interviewer or not. You know, I know, you know, from being an inside sales manager, when you're interviewing hundreds of people a year, you kind of get in a groove to where you can pull out the exact information from people that you want to get. That's not going to be the case for everybody. So I think what you have to do is sort of prepare your story to that allows you to answer any sort of questions. So thinking about, you know, vivid details that kind of back up the few things that you say that you are that kind of align with the job description, and hopefully you can fit those in throughout the interview process. No, you hit the nail on the head. Your first one, right, is differentiate yourself. If there's 300 resumes on your desk, no leader has the time to go through those. But leaders will take the time if somebody makes a cold call to them, somebody sends a snail mail resume to them, somebody emails them directly – Odds are they're going to find time to, to interview and then really building your brand. And so, you know, after three and a half years of really building your brand and, and you know, cutting your teeth within sales of the Dragons, you transition over to the NFL with the Cincinnati Bengals. And I think you mentioned that move came from a referral, right? That's exactly right. You know, like we talked about minor league baseball, it's a small staff. You get to do a little bit of everything. So one of my extra responsibilities was to order all of the premium items for our season ticket members, you know, your bobbleheads and things of the sort. So my key bobblehead vendor, you know, the guy who created the best products at the best price and everything, happened to be a former employee of the Cincinnati Bengals. So, you know, he had jumped from that into this bobblehead space, and we had a good report. You know, he made amazing bobbleheads, quite frankly. <laughs> um, you know, we got to know each other well. So when I saw the opening for that role at the Bengals, I reached out to him, and he said, yeah, absolutely. Let, I'll, let, me, let me place a quick call, and I'll call you right back. Literally five minutes later, he called me and said, all right, lunch tomorrow, you, me, and your two future bosses. That's awesome. Ah, That's amazing. I mean, that's prime example, right, Charlie, of like not only do you have to go above and beyond in everything you do, but making those relationships. Because, look, if if you were an average employee that he was dealing with, he wasn't going to make that call on your behalf. You clearly went out of your way as a customer of his to make him make that call. You know, so and that that's huge. And so what were some of the immediate differences you saw from a business perspective going from minor league baseball to the NFL? 
well, I really wanted to go somewhere where I could really test myself. Um, in Dayton, we were the absolute toast of the town. Everybody loved us. You know, we had, you know, the club had done a really good job of being involved in the community. So I think if you pulled 100 people, you know, you'd be lucky to find one person who had a bad thing to say about the team. And, you know, of course, at the minor league level, nobody's worried about wins and losses or things of the sort. So at the Bengals, it was a different story. You know, everybody lives or dies off of wins and losses, and we were yeah. coming off of 4-11 in one season. The economy had literally just crashed as I was taking this job. I know you remember that well yep. from early on in the career. Absolutely. And so everybody I talked to was like, you guys stink, and I don't have any money. So that was like the immediate difference of like, oh, you know, nobody, nobody likes this here. Right. I'm actually going to have to really hone in on my sales skills here. Yeah, you got to think of the different value propositions to each of the customers. And, you know, so you ended up, regardless, whether it be the economy or the team performance, and I think this really proves, you know, how good of a salesperson you were. You had a ton of success. You spent three years with the Bengals. You then decided to get into leadership. So first, how did you know leadership was the right career path for you? Well, I think it's similar to the reason why you had mentioned that you started this podcast is you really wanted to give back and you really wanted to help people. And I thought I found that thought to be really appealing. If I could hire people that were just getting their start and were as excited as I was several years ago and actually train them up and help them and kind of have a career that I was still looking forward to continuing on, you know, that was really rewarding for me and from a very you know, selfish perspective. No, that's awesome. And you ended up getting your first leadership role as a manager of season ticket sales for the Chicago Fire of the MLS. And why was that the right first leadership opportunity for you? Well, I had a tremendous mentor there, a gentleman named Mike Ernst, who is still with the club. And he was willing to take a shot on somebody that didn't have past management experience. You know, the Bengals were sort of backlogged. I I wasn't going to have an opportunity there anytime soon. I had interviewed with a number of teams who, you know, I'd get to the final three or something like that. And, you know, somebody with more experience who had done it before would always kind of beat me out. Whereas, um, you know, Mike, you know, thankfully was willing to take a chance on me and actually train me from start to finish. You know, I had no idea what I was doing, of course. And, you know, he, every step along the way, he would sit down with me and kind of talk talk me through the details because I think most people are right in that, you know, why they didn't want to hire me is like, you know, managing a staff is very different than selling. They're two completely different skill sets. And I was fortunate to have somebody that was willing to teach me those. No, absolutely. And to your point, you've got to start somewhere and and gain that experience. And, you know, Charlie, as we've discussed with your career path, going to Chicago, that's actually your first time that took you out of the state of Ohio, you know, from growing up uh, to college at the University of Dayton, to the Dragons, to the Bengals and probably a little bit out of your comfort zone. And so I know a lot of people, whether they're just getting in this business or they're in this business of like, it's difficult to get out of my comfort zone. Maybe the pay is not there. I don't have the support of family and friends. And so what advice do you have for listeners on how to handle those type of decisions, both from a professional standpoint, but also a personal standpoint? I think it's definitely tough to leave the great state of Ohio. I mean, it's (laughs) wonderful and it's the best state out there. Mic dropped. We can just stop it there, right? (laughs) Exactly. But I think I really needed to test my... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Myself, You know, I had been in Ohio for 26 plus years at that point in time. So for me, it was an opportunity to, to step outside of my comfort zone and really, really test myself. You know, I didn't have any sort of anything to fall back on. So it was about the work and it allowed me to really dive in. You know, I didn't, I, it was my whole goal. You know, I wasn't moving there to meet friends or anything like that. I wanted to, to be about the work and dive in right from the start. Again, we're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, Charlie Sloniker, Senior Vice President of Ticket Sales and Fan Experience at the Philadelphia Union. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. And Charlie, so what were some of your key learnings early on there in Chicago and your leadership career that you still apply to your everyday? I would say, one, trying to view everything you're doing through the eyes of that employee. Because no matter what, like everyone is going to look at it from their own point of view. So if you can think about that, any sort of message you're going to deliver or, you know, a promotion or restructuring or anything, just thinking about all the pieces of the puzzle of how each person is going to feel about it in order to make sure it's a good decision. Um, Two, I would say, would be communication. So, you know, no matter what, on any survey you do amongst your staff, it's always like, well, I didn't know about that. And, you know, it's like, oh, that's because I literally just found out 30 seconds ago. (laughs) Right, Um, right. But, you know, so I try to, like, get information to my staff as quickly as possible because there is such a feeling about that of, like, you are withholding information from me. Um, And then the third and final one, I I would say, is just treat people as human beings and be a good human. You know, it's it's like the leadership and self-deception book, getting outside of the box. Um, You know, that one, I think it's the clear message there, the big learning for me was that people have an innate, you know, unique ability to understand if you're viewing them as an object or as a person. And, you know, if you're treating them well, you're getting to know them on a personal level, I think you're you're far more likely to have a good relationship and be productive. 
Great, great pieces of advice. All three of them hit the nail on the head. And the one I want to just highlight a little bit is the communication one. You know, you hear a lot about that, right? You're absolutely right. The surveys come back, oh, I didn't know. And it's like, look, when you're sitting in the leadership chair, sometimes, to your point, you literally find 30 seconds out. I'm telling you as soon as I can. But also on the other end, I think what's really important and, and love to get your thoughts, Charlie, is the communication not only, you know, to the staff and to the team members, but also the importance of communicating up to to your leaders, the executive leadership, to ownership. Like walk the listeners through like why is that important? Has that been important in your career, being able to communicate up? Absolutely. I, I've seen a, a very different like far spectrum of how, you know, my bosses like to be communicated with. I think some are very, very analytical and some are a little bit more of gut feel. So I think it's important to know your boss and know you know, sort of what they're looking for in terms of the communication style, like what they want to really dive in on, which may be like their particular point of interest. But I think if you can cater that message and sort of anticipate, all right, you know, if I if I go in with this plan and mention that to my boss, they're likely going to ask this second question, this third question, this fourth question. And if I can sort of anticipate that and prepare for it, you know, hopefully that gives them a lot more comfortability with what I'm trying to pitch them on. No, absolutely. Charlie, after spending almost two years in your early leadership career with the Fire, you then transitioned to the NBA. Um, so now really you're kind of fourth different league that you're a part of, and you head to the Indiana, uh, Indiana Pacers. And in your three years there, you and your team were able to grow revenues in, in almost every category. And so looking back to your time there, what do you feel like you and your team were doing on such a consistent basis to have so much success? I think we focused primarily on two things. So it was about hiring and training. You know, we wanted to hire good people and train them up. And I knew going there that my boss, Barry Gibson, the head of the department, that's, that's the number one thing he was known for, was being an elite trainer in the sports industry. So that was really eye-opening for me. And it actually advice that my boss, Mike Ernst, gave me at the fire, like when I was leaving there, he was like, look, you know, you kind of stink at hiring and training. You need to get better at that if you're going to really grow. And I knew, like, working for Barry, the, those, you know, that would be a huge focus, specifically, like, giving people, you know, say exactly this, you know, send them exactly this email, rather than just sort of saying, ah, you kind of do this. Figure and, it out. Yeah, allow you to wing it. So, you know, the the training piece was big, and then also hiring. You know, I had an, an excellent counterpart there, uh, Justin Ramquist, who's their associate vice president now, and and we would interview people together. You know, I was running the inside sales, consumer sales division, but he would sit in the final interview, and I vividly remember him telling me times like, "Hey, when you ask that question, you put a little bit more emphasis on one of the words that was very clear." to the interviewee as to which one you were actually looking for. So we spent a lot of time trying to position questions to really pull out exact traits that we were looking for that person. Like, do do they innately, are they innately a competitive person? And, you know, even just small phrases would allow us to, to hopefully position that as, like, they don't know the right answer to the question, and they literally just have to answer who their truthful self is. You hit the nail on the head, right? Now, you know, sitting in your leadership chair and overseeing other leaders, but we've always said, you know, the the most important role for leaders is to hire the next best talent and then onboard train and develop them up to be elite and to be your next best leaders and superstars. So I think great advice from a leadership perspective of, of the leaders or the future leaders listening to this is, 
spend a lot of higher time hiring and training and developing. You know, you can't let that go. I know in leadership there's a lot of moving pieces, but don't forget don't forget that part. And you know, throughout your time with the Pacers, Charlie, this was also the first time you were able to get the experience of overseeing other leaders uh, as well, which is kind of always that next step in leadership. And so what were some of the big adjustments and what advice do you have for those that are that ultimately want to oversee leaders or they're getting ready to take that next step? I think it's important to know that you're just going to be one step further removed from the process. And the further you get removed from that employee who is actually doing the work and, you know, in our world and ticketing, actually communicating with the fans and trying to sell packages and groups and things of the sort, um, it's more difficult because like the way you would want to do it kind of continues to get lost a little bit in translation. So for me, it's sort of about setting up two things. One is setting up like an an appropriate level of reporting that comes in every day or potentially multiple times a day or in real time. So I can see sort of a holistic view of what's going on and kind of analyze it from that perspective but also just being out on the floor pretty frequently and talking to actual employees where, you know, you can get a feel or a vibe for what's going on. And, you know, honestly, with all the technology they have these days and the ability to listen in on calls and, you know, I can put a a call through an X-ray system and see if they said the words we wanted to say. It's like, it's mind boggling stuff. You kind of have to have those controls in place to feel comfortable with it. And I think to that point, you know, I'd love to get your thoughts as well, Charlie, on that is, you know, and, and again, jokingly, I think this comes from Ohio and the work ethic, but you're always willing to roll up your sleeves. And, you know, maybe that started from your minor league baseball team of, of truly rolling up your sleeves. You may be pulling tarp uh, on one day, but also being able to go and tag seats for selected seats and not putting interns or inside sales to it. So why is that important to you as a leader from not only the chair you sit in now, but also your other leaders to always be willing to roll up their sleeves, to go on sales calls, go on appointments, to, to do community events um, that maybe in the past has just been pushed off to other people? I think all of your employees are going to look to leadership to understand if this is an important initiative or not. And if the leaders aren't there, then they're going to think, ah, you know, this must not be that big of a deal. Or, you know, they're going to lose trust in you and think, ah, well, you know, the boss isn't here, so, you know, he's off doing whatever. So, you know, why should I even be trying to do this for him? But, you know, if you can pitch in and, you know, be there to shovel snow before the home opener and, you know, all those little things that end up happening, um, I think you get a lot of respect from people and they'll be more likely to listen to the important initiatives that you line out in the business plan. Oh, absolutely. And, and perfect. And to your time now, which is a, a direct transition, transition into it, you end up getting an opportunity after the Pacers after a couple of years with the Philadelphia Union, where you become one of the youngest vice president of sales within the MLS. And why was that the right opportunity for you to, to kind of take it to the next level in leadership? Yeah, I wanted to be over, able to oversee the whole department. And, you know, as I was looking for that next opportunity, the offers I was getting were a portion of the department. You know, I'll let you oversee everything other than premium. I'll let you oversee everything other than ticket ops. And, you know, I wanted to oversee the whole thing. I had, you know, had experience in every area, so it was important to do that. And I knew what MLS was from working at the Chicago Fire, so I I was really intrigued by getting back into that league because I felt like it was an area where I could make a huge difference 
you know, I know one day we were looking at, at the Pacers, we increased revenue by, you know, a couple million bucks one year. And we were, we were like, all right, you know, making good progress. And then we looked at it in terms of our roster and it's like, that's like a mid-level exception player or something. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, yep. And I looked at it, you know, not too long ago and the amount of revenue that we've increased over the last five years since I've been here from, you know, year over year total revenue, you could account for like 50% of our goals in a season. And I was like, that, you know, that's like, we're making an impact. It's now amazing. you're truly making a dent. Yeah. Right. So throughout your time in Philadelphia, you've continued to increase the staff size and more importantly, have earned a ton of records for the club and just crushed some of the numbers. And so, you know, as, as you go back into staffing and obviously a lot of it's just about ROI, what, are, you know, and you've been able to increase that. What are some of the key characteristics you're always looking for in the most successful salespeople? So we look for four. We look for somebody who actually wants to be in sales, which I think is by far and away the most important one. The only time I really see people fail in the position is normally if they just made it up in their mind that they're not interested, you know, and they're not going to yep. put in the work. Second is somebody who's highly competitive, and I think that will drive – and I'm not talking about from the standpoint of like, oh, I lost, I'm really mad. I'm talking about like, okay, things aren't going well, so – this is going to drive me to really put in the work to get better. And that's how I think of a competitive person. Um, coachable is number three, because I feel like if you want to do it, you're competitive. And provided that you'll listen to guidance, it's not rocket science. We're not doing, like, super mm -hmm. difficult work here, you know. It's, right, right. Just communicating with people. So provided you can listen, you, you can normally get it. And then the final one, it, it's a particular – Sticking point for me is organization. Um, I'm a bit of a, you know, sort of a neat freak, you know, OCD on a couple things there. So just want to make sure that people aren't letting leads fall through the cracks and, you know, following up with people at the appropriate time and stuff. So we will try to ask them specific questions to make sure that that is the case. And I think that the beauty of those and, you know, great four, four pieces of advice, all of those are control what they can control. You know, nobody has to, to come in and have that experience, this, that, or the other. It's control you can control because you and your team will provide the training and development that's needed. And so as you look at your chair now and you've been promoted to senior vice president of ticket sales and fan services, what does a day look like for you? I think it's really some sort of combination of three things, really. It's representing the ticketing department at the executive table as we're talking about big, high-level sorts of initiatives um, you know, what could that potentially mean for us? It's business planning and making sure we're sort of strategically set up for success well in advance of the coming year. And then finally, it's, it's fulfilling that business plan and making sure that we're staying on track with it. And if, you know, a particular piece of it isn't working, the fact that we can pivot to hopefully get back on track. No, absolutely. And you're looking back, so you, you, your first leadership experience was in the MLS with the fire that we already spoke about, and, and now into to really overseeing the whole verticals and all the business. How do you feel like your leadership has evolved over the years, not only as, as you're growing as a leader, but also evolving within our new marketplace and new hires? I, I mean, I'm ashamed to admit this, but early on, I just, I just thought I knew it all. You know, I, I thought like, oh, this, you know, my way is the right way, and it's kind yeah. of the only way to do it. And you know, so I was just very much like always stuck to my guns and what I thought was the right way to do it. 
And, you know, now just there's so many great resources out there. There's this podcast like this one, you know, there's audio books, things that you can, you know, just throw the AirPods on and listen and whenever. Um, there's so much great connectivity across leagues nowadays where, you know, you, you literally know all your counterparts throughout the league. You've got weekly calls with them at that, at this point. You can ping anybody um, just to, to reach out and ask some questions too. So I think, like, I've shifted my opinion of, like, well, my way is the only way to do it, which, again, I'm very ashamed by, um, to more of the, like, all right, you know, I've got to dive in here and try to figure out anything I possibly can. Somebody, Somebody's probably doing this better than me. And I think one of the biggest things is, right, always be learning. No matter what role you're in, you're always going to be learning, always be coachable and open. And you now throughout your experience in your career, uh, you've worked in minor league baseball, the NFL, NBA, and MLS. So, what would you say from a business side are, are some of the, the key similarities and maybe if there's a difference or two? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, for the most part, I think it is very similar. The, the sports industry is, you know, you can apply a lot of skill sets across. The, the ones that are sort of uniquely different, different is, I think, like the impact of wins and losses. You know, I think I mentioned from the start the, the two biggest extremes I've ever seen, which is NFL versus minor league baseball. Yep. You know, if you – lose the game, nobody wants to talk to you in the NFL the next day. <laughs> um, I think the TV contract aspect, you know, you have massive TV contracts in the NFL and NBA, um, you know, MLS, you just don't, quite frankly. So the amount of revenue or the amount of the revenue pie that is sort of directly attributed to ticketing and sponsorship is far greater depending upon, you know, how – low your TV contract is. So that's that's a huge impact. Um, and then finally, budgets. You know, the bigger the team, you know, the more budget money you have to work with and, you know, the, low, the smaller the team, the more sort of, um, you know, strategic you need to be in terms of using that money and where does your next dollar go. Right. And I'll be honest, that was a little bit of a softball question. I think you knocked it out of the park because I think the biggest thing from a listener perspective, right, is many of those things that are different aren't things you can control anyway. You know, the, the, the true X's and O's, I mean, you probably are utilizing the same script to use at the Dayton Dragons that you use now and every stop in between. So a lot of the X's and O's are, are very similar. And so throughout your experience, we've, we've talked a lot about it. You've had a great, you know, career, certainly a fun journey. What do you feel like has been your best memory throughout your entire career? Yeah, I'll give you two. Um, so when I was first working in minor league baseball, I, you know, I was uh, an intern at the time and, you know, we had a long season. And one of the areas I was responsible for was like our kids play area with the giant inflatable games. So there was uh, just an absolutely lovely young lady out in the uh, the kids play area there that I took a very strong liking to, (laughs) you know, really directly applied my sales skills throughout an entire season um, and finally got that yes at the end of the year for her commitment to go on a date with me. And uh, she's been my wife of five years at this point. You know, we have a a, a young daughter together. So that was like a big, big, big achievement there. That's got to be the best sale you've ever made. It's not even close, you know, in terms of, the leagues that we're each in, she has so many divisions ahead of me. <laughs> and talk about putting the time and effort. That wasn't just like a one-game thing. That was a whole season, you know, 70 no, games. It was more of your corporate partnership type of sales process. <laughs> Long sales cycle. 
That's right. But we got her. She's <laughs> in at this point for the full season package. Pay in full. Um, <laughs> paid in full. <laughs> so, so that, you know, that one certainly carries a special heart, you know, part of my heart. Uh, the second one was recently here. When I came to the union, we just had several management people that had been in place since the club started in 2010 and had just been really loyal to the club. And, you know, the, this group of people have been amazing. They've completely embraced me when I came in. And from day one, the message was sort of like, hey, you know, we're in this for the club. Whatever we can do to get better, we support it. You know, any changes that you want to make, we're there. And, you know, all of them have been true to their word. And recently we won our first trophy in club history, the Supporters' Shield for, you know, the best regular season record, which is a huge thing in MLS. And, you know, there's a moment where we were all able to go down on the field, and I see this group of of managers just in this huge embrace, like hugging each other, jumping up and down. Um, I captured a photo of it with my phone, and it's hanging up in my office here. It's just such a proud memory, just like so deserving to, to see that for those guys. That's awesome. No, and, and overall, Charlie, what a great career. Pretty cool to hear from someone that has worked in multiple different leagues. And so to close it out, I'd like to put our guests on the hustle hot seat. So you ready for this? I think so. All right. You're going to sail around the world. What's the name of your boat? I'm going to go with Super Adley, which Adley is the name of my daughter. She's almost two years old. And, you know, I oftentimes will hold her up in the air and, and say, Super Adley. <laughs> and she flies and laughs at me and things like that. So um, my wife actually printed off a, a nice painting for me of that. And it's just you know, it's just one of those things. Perfect. Perfect. And, you know, going back to, you know, knowing that you have a young daughter, this, this is probably on the TV a little bit with some cartoons. So if you could hang out with a cartoon character, who would you choose and why? I would definitely go with Max from The Secret Life of Pets, just because that's my daughter's favorite show. She loves our dogs. So I'm thinking if, like, I can become cool with Max, then maybe that will up my stock with her, you know, okay. maybe close in on mom a little bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, you may not have a ton of time for this next one with being on your phone, but if you had to delete all but three apps, which ones are you choosing to keep? I'm going to be very strategic here. I'm going to go with Microsoft Teams so I can still communicate with people. Um, I'm going to go with a financial app just so I can ensure that I still have money in some way. <laughs> That's always important. You're right, right. Um, and finally, I'm going to go with a, a new one, which is Hoopla. Um, you know, not the the Hoopla that I think most people know that ties into your CRM that has all the right you know, for the announcements of sales. But yeah, the, you know, this one ties into libraries and allows you to get audiobooks, um, which is amazing. They have like a massive library, so uh, you know, of audiobooks, and I've just been really diving into that lately. Now, are you getting paid to say that? No, no. <laughs> no, but that's, I actually have never heard of it. That's that's awesome. I, you know, part of me thinks that I, my, my hope my book is part of that. But uh, oh, absolutely, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a look after this. I've got that <laughs> on the list here. Yeah, keep me posted. No, that's awesome. Well, Charlie, to close it out, what are three key takeaways you would give every listener to be in your shoes one day? I'm gonna go number one: dream big by setting your goals early and then having all your actions tie back to those goals. So if you want to be a team president, make sure every action and every decision that you make ties back to that. Number two, I'm going to say be a good human. 
I think it's very easy for people to see, like, all right, this is not a good person here. This is not somebody I want to work with. This is not a good teammate kind of thing. And number three, I would say work to keep improving yourself. You know, I kind of fell in that trap early on in my career of, like, all right, I think I've, I think I've got this. Um, since I've changed that mindset, I think it's been far easier to make really rapid gains just in terms of my knowledge and, and skill set. That's awesome. And you, to your point, you've mentioned this a couple of times, being a good person, just a good human, going about uh, out of your way to, to make it right for everybody. And, you know, to your point of dreaming big, you know, if, if you've got a dream, why not dream big? And, and I completely agree. You've mentioned this a couple of times. Just keep improving. Keep pushing yourself to be elite. Charlie, thank you so much. You've certainly had a great career. It's a pleasure talking to you, and I really appreciate your time and expertise. Thanks so much for having me on, Travis. Again, this is Travis Apple. Thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. Please be sure to follow the podcast and watch on YouTube. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, so follow us at 52 Weeks of Hustle. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week.